Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series in the Sermon on the Mount called The Politics of Jesus, where we're learning how to live the upside-down way of Jesus' kingdom. Thanks for joining us. The word politics means the activities associated with the governance of a country or kingdom. In other words, it simply means the way people living in groups make decisions and live those decisions out as a community. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a picture of the kingdom of God, an invitation to life in community, which is often upside down to the kingdom of this world. So question for y'all, raise of hands in the room or online. How many of you have gotten a dog during COVID? Yeah. I thought there was going to be a baby boom after COVID, but I actually think there was a dog boom. And so we, uh, we are part of your ranks. We got a dog shortly after Christmas. Uh, his name is Gimli. And... Uh, yeah, he's a little, little dachshund wiener dog, and his name's Gimli after the character in The Lord of the Rings. And so what I've not- noticed with this, right, we are trying to motivate this dog like crazy to, to potty train and to obey and to sit, and we're trying to teach him these things, and we're trying to figure out what motivates him and what we've discovered. And we actually watched a show on television last week about this. Dogs are motivated by our praise, by our words, even more than food. It is our words. They are like gold to him. He wants to please us. And everybody's motivated by something, right? I mean, babies are motivated by their parents' attention. Kids are motivated by the approval of their parents. Teenagers and adults are motivated by what their peers think of them. Athletes are motivated by being the best in their sport or by winning championships. We're all motivated by something. And the question we're going to wrestle with today is, as followers of Jesus, what motivates us? What motivates us? And the text we're going to look at this morning addresses our motives and how those are upside down from the motives that influence the world around us. We're in a series called The Politics of Jesus, and if you're following in your notes, we're learning to live the upside-down way of Jesus' kingdom. We're spending time in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. It's an inaugural address of sorts given by Jesus where he outlines what it looks like to live in his kingdom. And what we've learned is the Sermon on the Mount exposes our hearts. It it lays us clean, and we realize there's no way we could be made right with God on our own. We must humbly receive the free gift of righteousness by trusting in what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sin. And once we realize we're blessed, and once we realize we've been made righteous, our motives change. Our motives change. We want to live differently because we have new hearts. We no longer are concerned with merely looking good or playing the part for other people to see. We will begin to be transformed from the inside out to live the way of Jesus. And that's what we're going to continue looking at today. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We've made it out of chapter 5. We're into chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning 
in verse 1. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6. In the past six weeks, the past three weeks, we've looked at six don'ts that Jesus instructs us in. And today we see that Jesus moves from six don'ts to three do's. Three examples of practicing our faith. But before giving those examples, Jesus begins with a warning. So would you read the first gray box on your notes with me? These are the words of Jesus. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 1 is the thesis statement of this whole section. Some of you in the room are students, or you're online, and you're working on a second semester research paper, and you had to craft a thesis statement as you began. This is Jesus' thesis statement of this section. Be careful. Be careful. Spiritual practices are not to be done so others see them. If they are, any reward from your father is forfeit. That's his warning. That's his thesis. And these practices are intentional ways that we live out our faith. Many of these practices could also be called spiritual disciplines, but they're practices that God graciously gives us so that we can grow in character in our relationship with him. These practices include worship, celebration, serving, confession, solitude, reflection on scripture, and the three that Jesus is going to address today, giving, praying, and fasting. And Jesus instructs, there is a right way to practice these, and there is a wrong way, and it has everything to do with our motive. So Jesus begins by saying, be careful of practicing these things in front of others to be seen by them. And if you remember back to the second week of the series, Jeff taught about being salt and light, and he actually finished with these words. You can see them on the screen. Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So what's going on here? Is Jesus contradicting himself? Are we supposed to let people see or not let people see? There's no contradiction. Jesus is telling us that the question we continually need to ask ourselves when practicing out our faith is, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Is my motivation for spiritual practices or doing good works is my motivation to glorify God, to let my light shine for other people to see, or is my desire to gain glory and praise for myself through the applause of other people? That's what Jesus is teaching against. And Jesus says, if we practice righteousness, if we practice our faith just to be seen by others, just to be applauded by others, then that's the only reward we'll experience. It's fleeting and it's temporary. But Jesus also says, if we practice these things with the right motive, then we'll experience a reward from our Father in heaven. If you're following in your notes, our motives determine our reward, immediate or lasting. 
And the reward that Jesus promises his followers is one of the central messages of the Sermon on the Mount. The word reward is used nine times in this teaching. So I want to be clear about what we're talking about here with reward. When we read the word reward, it's not so much material as it is relational. If you're following in your notes, the reward is a richness of relationship with God. And it's a now and a not yet reward. We become more Christ-like now, and we bring more of the kingdom to earth. And it's a not yet reward that we will experience in full one day when our lives here on earth is over. And that's why, if you're following in your notes, motive is more important than activity. Motive is more important than activity. In Jesus' words, why we do something is more important than what we do, even though what we do is important. So beginning in verse 2, Jesus is going to support his thesis statement by talking about three pillars of the Jewish faith, of Jewish devotion. Three spiritual practices that were of the utmost importance to the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day, giving, praying, and fasting. So we begin in verse two. You can see Jesus' words on the screen. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And this verse begins with the word when, because giving to the poor was important to the Jewish people because their Bible, the Old Testament, has a lot to say about poverty and giving to the poor. God cares deeply about the poor, and he expects his people to do the same. And in the New Testament, Jesus affirms the importance of giving to the poor in places like Matthew 25 or Luke 6 or Luke 14. And Jesus affirms that it's not an if you give to the poor, but a when you give to the least of these. And what Jesus is confronting here is these Jewish leaders in Jesus' day would actually carry their treasure boxes through town to the temple or to the synagogue, the local Jewish church, to make a show of their giving. And upon entering the temple, they would throw their coins into a trumpet-shaped collection box so it would ring loudly so people would hear what they were giving. And Jesus called them hypocrites. They were not giving for the glory of God or even for the benefit of the needy. They were giving for the praise of other people. They were giving in order to be seen. The word hypocrite shows up a number of times in the teachings of Jesus. And the word originally referred to a play actor who performed on stage in Greek or Roman theater. In ancient times, actors didn't wear makeup. They wore masks. And the mask would be the character they portrayed on stage. And what a vivid picture, right, of someone pretending to be one thing while their motive is something entirely different. And Jesus says these hypocrites have received their reward in full. Reward is a business term that was used by merchants. So when the Pharisees would have, they, they would have known what Jesus was talking about here. They, the receipts they were given in the marketplace would be stamped in full. You've received everything in full. There will be nothing more coming. And Jesus is saying, if that's what you're going after, 
If you're going after the reward of getting applause from other people, you'll get it. You'll get it. But it's fleeting and it's temporary and there is nothing more coming. Your reward is not from the Father. A few years ago, authors Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman wrote a book and they asked non-Christians what they thought of when they thought of Christians. The number one response overwhelmingly was hypocrite. It was hypocrite. And when they were asked to clarify what they meant by that, they didn't mean like people that still sin or people that aren't perfect. Because if that's the case, then I would say, come and join us because we're going to be hypocrites until we're on this side, on the other side of heaven. But when they were asked to explain what they meant by that, they said words like their lives don't match their belief and their lifestyle and values and perspective look no different than the world around them. Friends, let's fight against that and be a people who give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. It makes a difference. It makes a difference how we live. Jesus instructs us how to live that way with the first of his do statements. Would you read the second gray box in your notes with me? Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If you're following in your notes, when we give, give in secret. It doesn't matter whether anyone ever knows what good deed has been done or what you've given because the Father sees your heart and your actions. And when Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, it's just an extreme way of saying, he's already said, right, don't do this to be seen by other people. But what Jesus is saying here is don't even make a big deal of it to yourself. You don't need to pat yourself on the back for your profound humility and generosity. We don't need to do that. It absolutely feels good to give. It does. But it can lead to pride if we're not careful. And one point of clarity here, this doesn't mean don't give, or don't give in public. Jesus is not restricting taking an offering in a public setting. That would be reading this with a letter of the law rather than a spirit of the law intent. We see public offerings taken in the New Testament. So what it means is when we give in public, we do it for the glory of God. When we give in public, we do that to let our light shine so that others may glorify our Father in heaven. And if people do hear about our giving or what we give, it's to encourage them in faithful stewardship, not to exalt ourselves. And when we give this way, we're told, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We've already talked about the reward. It's a richness of relationship with God. The reward is Jesus. It's a richness of relationship that is cultivated by practicing this discipline with the right motive. And I want to suggest one more reward we experience when we give. I read about this this week from author John Stott. I, I thought this was so helpful, and I resonated with this. He says, our reward as well is to see the need relieved. It's to see the need relieved. 
And I resonate with that. And what I'm going to say, I pray, is from a motive of encouraging and shepherding and not a look at me. I didn't start giving regularly until Sarah and I uh, got married. I would throw a couple dollars in the offering plate when I remembered to bring some money to the Sunday gathering, but it, it was not a when you do it, it was an if you do it for me. And when we first got married, it became a when you do this. And it was hard at first. But I've gotten to a place where it brings me great joy to give because I get to partner with God in what he's doing to alleviate suffering, to alleviate poverty, to alleviate slavery, and share the good news of Jesus locally and globally. And we've been able to sit at our kitchen table with our boys and give an update from our missionaries or share a letter from our compassion child or somebody else has been set free through international justice mission. It is a reward to see the need relieved and to know that more of the kingdom of heaven is broken into our world. That is a huge reward for me as well. So let me finish by saying this, this first practice, whether Cherry Hills is your home church or if you're here and you're trying to figure out if this is a place where you can practice life together, I want you to know as a church, we will always have a tangible concern for the poor and the hurting. When you give, a portion of your giving goes towards the least of these. And we don't often make a big deal of our church's giving. We try to find the, the, the right way to say things that glorify God rather than bring accolades on ourselves. But when I think about Cherry Hills and when I think about you, it blows me away how you practice this discipline. It blows me away. And if this is new to you, then I, I pray you'll consider giving yourself to this practice. And just see what it does for your relationship with God. Just see what it does. I believe it will draw you closer to the Father and provide a richness and a depth in your relationship. Giving is the first practice Jesus talks about. Then he moves to the second spiritual practice that was of paramount importance to the Jewish leaders, and it's prayer. So picking up in verse 5, you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. Jesus says, and when you do pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And in Jewish culture, just so we know what Jesus is addressing here, there, there were three set times of prayer each day. And whenever the call to prayer was heard from the temple or the synagogue, Jewish people would stop wherever they were and pray, or they would make their way to the temple or the synagogue and pray. And some Jewish leaders would time where they were in the city to the call to prayer. And they would wait on street corners and in the public square or in the synagogue to let everybody see them pray. Some would time their afternoon stroll that they just so happened to be in a busy part of town when the call to prayer was heard. And then they would lift up their voices and their hands in prayer. And to that, Jesus says, don't be like those hypocrites. Their reward is that others see them. That's it. It's temporary. It's fleeting. The practice of prayer doesn't change their hearts. It doesn't draw them near to God. Don't pray for show. And then Jesus gives his second do statement. 
Would you read this in the third gray box? But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus instructs us, if you're following in your notes, that when we pray, go in a room, shut the door, and pray in secret. And the reason Jesus says this is that prayer is primarily a conversation with God. It's a conversation with God. If you are following in your notes, prayer is fundamentally about a relationship. It is a primary way that we develop a relationship with God. Pastor and author Pete Gregg has this fantastic quote. I want to put this on the screen. He says, prayer is primarily relational rather than transactional. God's greatest gift is always ultimately simply himself. Prayer is fundamentally about a relationship. And when we pray this way, there's a reward. I thought this was fascinating. One author points out that the Greek word for the room into which we are to withdraw to pray in Greek, it's the word tameon, was used for the storeroom where treasures might be kept. The implication is that there are treasures awaiting us when we pray. And those treasures include a deeper relationship with Jesus, experiencing his peace, his wisdom, his guidance, his forgiveness, his comfort. And yes, it also includes breakthrough and miraculous intervention that God still steps in and works in miraculous ways. And just like we talked about with public versus private praying, Jesus isn't condemning public prayer. That would be reading this with a letter of the law intent again. The New Testament is full of examples of public prayer. But it's our motives that Jesus is going after when we pray publicly. And then Jesus continues and finishes talking about prayer in verse 7. You can read this in your Bibles or on the screen. It says, and when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And so babbling just means using words without meaning. Or you just say the same thing to try to get God to change his mind or manipulate him. You try to get him to give you what you want instead of what you need. Or you use fancy words because you think they're holy and righteous. I mean, have you ever thought you needed to pray that way to get God's attention? Jesus is saying you don't. You don't. We actually wanted to show you this video that shows what we think prayer has to be like sometimes. We want to invite you to watch this. Joel Carpenter is a new Christian, so to help him pray, we've hired that super pastor guy you see on TV. God, Please help my marriage. We're just really struggling right now. Oh, Heavenly Father, He who has created all things, makes the sun and moon rise at His command. I beseech you, take this woman that you've given to me as a helpmate and bring her to her senses that we might abide together forever in a purpose-driven marriage. God, I'm really frustrated at work. Help me find a new job. 
I ask you now in this area of employment, thee who gives me the sustenance in an employer fashion, please guide me to something, if it be your will, that would bring you glory. My kids are driving me crazy. I, I don't know what to do. You just help me out. You have blessed me also with many young saplings, and I ask at this day that you would help me and my helpmate to raise them in the way of your word. Amen, God. And now I end this time with you, Lord, bowing before you, giving you all that you deserve in sacrifice and in sacrament. Let it be known that the Alpha Omega is pleased. Amen. God go. Real people, real prayers. I mean, how many of you have ever used different words than you normally would speak because you just thought it carried more weight with God? Everyone. And Jesus would say, talk to God like you would talk to a loving parent. If you're following in your notes, pray with simple, childlike prayers. Talk to him like a perfect heavenly father. The word father is used 15 times in the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus wants us to know that we have a father who is perfect and who loves us, is concerned about us. We're not actually going to study the Lord's Prayer today. We did an entire series on that last summer called Dear God, so I want to direct you to our website or podcast. It's worth your time to learn more about the Lord's Prayer and how we can pray the way Jesus taught us. But today we want to focus on our motives. And we pray like a child. Now we're going to jump ahead to verse 16 and talk about the last example that Jesus uses to support his thesis of be careful how you live out your faith. On the screen or following in your Bibles, we're going to pick up in verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And just so we're all on the same page, when we say the word fast, if you're following in your notes, it means voluntarily refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. And it's not as foreign to us as we might think. We actually use this word every day and practice this to some extent. Every morning we eat breakfast, which is when we break fast from eating all night. And fasting was a, another of the three key spiritual disciplines in Jewish life. In the Old Testament, Jews were directed to fast once a year. And when they did this, the, the word fast carries this idea of denying yourself and humbling yourself. So in addition to abstaining from food, we deny ourselves and humble ourselves and draw near to God. And what Jesus is talking about here is Pharisees that fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays that just so happened to be the busiest two days in the marketplace where people would come in from the country to the city and they would make it apparent that they were fasting and suffering. And they would disfigure their faces and they would go ungroomed or they'd sprinkle ashes on their head and they were fasting for show not to draw near to God. And their reward is they got the praise of others and they did. I'm certain that people in the marketplace would say, look at them and how devoted they are to God. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. They have mixed motives and their reward is fleeting and temporary. 
And then Jesus gives the third and final do statement. Would you read this with me in the fourth grade box in your notes? He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. And what Jesus is saying here, if you're following in your notes, is when we fast, act normal. Act normal. Don't advertise it. Fast quietly. Don't draw attention to yourself. And when you fast this way, God sees you and will reward you. By fasting from something, and it may be food, it might be technology, it might be purchasing something, it may be something else in your life. But when we fast, we fill ourselves with God's word and prayer and we draw near to him. And the Bible promises when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. Fasting can increase our hunger for God, and it can lead to spiritual breakthrough if there's an area of our lives where we need direction or guidance or we're experiencing a difficult situation. If you have not fasted in a while or you've never fasted, I want to invite you into this practice. Try it. And maybe it's food or technology or something else you want to give up. And when you fast... As you experience a hunger pain, or when you want to check your social media feed, turn that into a time of prayer and draw near to God. Replace a meal time or the time you would spend surfing the internet with intentional time in God's word and prayer. I want to invite you into that. It can deepen your relationship with the Father. Giving, praying, and fasting. Are there any spiritual practices that you want to step into and try in order to deepen your relationship with God? Because God invites us into these. They're not have-tos. He invites us into these to grow us in character and grow us in our relationship with him. Listen, our world would tell us that rather than give, we should keep for ourselves. Rather than pray, we should rely on ourselves. Rather than fast, we should indulge our every desire. And Jesus invites us into his upside-down kingdom, a kingdom with lasting rewards. So I want to close by asking you the question that we started with. We're going to just make it personal. What motivates me to follow Jesus? What motivates me? There are some options you can choose from. I'll give you a couple. One might be exactly what we talked about today. We are motivated to follow Jesus by receiving the praise of people. Another is we're motivated to follow Jesus because we think we can earn a right standing with Jesus by doing more good things or participating in more spiritual practices. Another motive is that Jesus is our ticket to heaven. He's our life insurance in case something goes wrong. There's options we can choose from. Or we live the upside down way of Jesus and we are motivated by a desire to please God in gratitude for what he has done for us through Jesus. And when that's our motivation, then following Jesus isn't a have to, it is a get to, and we'll experience the lasting reward of the Father. And my prayer, church, my prayer is that we will be an upside down people 
motivated to give ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission. And by giving ourselves fully, our community will notice and we will be salt and light in a world that desperately needs Jesus. So as we prepare for communion, I wanna give you just a, just a moment. I believe God is always at work and he's always speaking to us if we slow down to listen We want to give you just a moment. Is there any area of your life where there are mixed motives? Are there any areas of your life where the word hypocrite might apply? If the Lord identifies any area, don't don't go to shame. Just name it. Confess it. Know that God can help you. But we want to give you just a moment to reflect and review. Is there any area where there might be some mixed motives. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.